evening and welcome to episode two, season two of the Father's Name podcast. Of course, I am Tanya Shell, and joining me this evening is Miss Nicole Mosby-Taylor and Mr. Tagana Duncan, and they are the founders of Empowering to... Wait a minute. Empowering to Stand Health Services. Stand Health Services. I'm sorry, y'all. <laughs> so quick, thank you for joining me tonight, you guys. I appreciate it. Thank you for having us. No problem. Thank you. Appreciate you. Let's start off by telling everyone exactly who you are and what is your foundation about. So my name is Nicole Mosby Taylor, and I am the um, founder of Empowered Women in Business International. Um, the co-founder of Empowering Minds of Maryland's Youth, and. The, my our newest baby is empowered to stand health services. Um, and one thing that um, everyone will notice is that all of them have empowered in there or empowering the word empower um, because I, I was placed here to help to empower others, um, I believe. And um, so that's what I'm doing through um, at, um, EWBI. We um, empower a women networking group of um, entrepreneurs and professionals. Um, we've created a sisterhood of us supporting us where we provide uh, um, out an array of different um, tools so that entrepreneurs and professionals can be um, successful. And then Empowering Minds of Maryland's Youth Emmy, we um, provide our outreach um, an array of different um, outreach opportunities for youth um, to take advantage of, to help to build them to be the leaders that we know that they can be in this world. Uh, and then I'll let um, Pastor Duncan, uh, I'll <laughs> let um, Coach Duncan tell us about uh, ESHS. Great, thank you so much. And again, my name is Tagana Duncan. I'm the co-founder of Empowering Empowered to Stand Health Services, which is a mental health services. Part of what we do is we have decided to collaborate based upon the work that we was already doing within the community. As you have heard, Ms. Taylor, she has talked about some of her wonderful programs. So the program that I actually is the director and founder of is called STAND, which is an acronym for Stepping Towards a New Destiny. A lot of our works focus around the youth, youth programming, youth athletic um, programs, youth mentoring, youth educational programs. And recently during the pandemic, we have been able to distribute food to families that have been uh, impacted by COVID-19. So with the work that Ms. Nicole Taylor was already doing in the community and along with myself, we have come together to collaborate to bring you Empower to Stand Health Services, which is a program that focuses directly on um, mental health, not just for youth, but also for adults. We see that there are so many areas where individuals are being impacted through mental health, and we're just here to offer so many of those resources to combat and to help to lower the rates of mental health, health that individuals are facing. Uh, again, thank you for joining me. And I wanted to touch on mental health again, because I did discuss this in season one, but I feel like that this is so important because it's such an ongoing situation um, over the holiday 
Um, I'm from Baltimore, like y'all, of course, you know that, but I'm in Atlanta now. But I've seen over the holiday where there was this guy and he uh, ultimately ended up killing his ex-wife and his pregnant girlfriend because of situations that he was going through as far as the children. Um, I've seen a lot of this in the news where the, you know, the guys, they can't take it no more because they can't afford to pay child support. So they just feel like, you know, murdering, you know, maybe the mother or the kids is a way out, you know. So I feel like mental health is very important, especially in our community, because it's not always talked about. And for, for whatever reason, um, mainly with the men, they feel like that if they reach out to someone to ask for help or something like that, it kind of demeans them as a man. So I just wanted to uh, quickly just, you know, talk to you guys, just, you know, see if we can try to get it out there that, again, it's okay for the men to let it be known that, yes, this is a vulnerable time in my life. I need your help, you know, and maybe we could talk about some signs of it and uh, maybe some resources or, you know, how to handle certain situations as far as mental health. But the first question that I did want to ask you is that um, I wanted to know, in your opinion, why do you feel like that with our men, they feel like they can't ask for help or they just bottle everything inside and just let it just, you know, fester into something dangerous? I think that's a really good question. And I've had this conversation with um Ms. Taylor as well. I don't believe, I think that's a myth where we have been told that men don't like to express their feelings, where they don't like to talk about how they were feeling. One of the things I was saying recently is that a lot of men uh, in relationships, we require a lot of the same things that women look for. We like um, our spouse to give us attention. We want to be showered and we want to feel loved. We, we look for some of the similar things. We have been taught that for a long time that men don't like to express their emotions. The truth is men want to talk. And the truth is that men are expressing their emotions. They are saying how they're feeling. What happens often is when a man try to talk, which is something that a lot of us are not are as articulate as the individual that they may be with, they don't sound the way you sound. We may not say the words that you may say it. We may not express the way you express express it. But we are willing and, and um, able to talk. The thing is, are you willing and able to receive what I'm saying? Because at the end of the day, I'm not going to say it the way that you would say it. So what happens is when you get a man that is expressing himself, the thing is, is he being received in the manner in which he expresses it? in which he says it. Because if I'm telling you I'm hurting, I may not use the words I'm hurting, but I may say, hey, you didn't ask me how my day was. That means, I, hey, something's going on and I'm willing to talk about it. And if you don't ask me how my day was, and depending on your reaction to that alone, lets that man know, should I continue talking or do I need to withdraw my feelings right now? And what he will do is he will withdraw his feelings most of the times. But men are willing to talk. Men are open to talk, especially with their spouse, who they're comfortable and feel secure with as well. Nicole. So um, I agree with a lot of um, what um, 
Coach Duncan is saying. Um, I think that we have to keep in mind, you know, it's it's like a running joke and it's um, they have a board game. As women are from Venus, men are from Mars. Uh -huh. um, so like Pastor Duncan was saying, like, I think um, when you look at it, um, it's not that we don't want to communicate, it's that we don't know how to effectively communicate. And I think it's important for us to try to learn how to effectively communicate so that we're understanding each other. It's not just the women, you know, don't understand the men, but we have to be able to understand each other in order to be able to have a successful relationship. And I think if we're taught how to talk and how to listen um, for that, you know, effective dialogue, then it could help build different relationships, not even just a husband and wife, but, you know, a mother and child, a father and child, a, um, you know, employee and employer, you know, just being able to utilize those skills effectively will be able to help change um, the spectrum. So one of the things that I did notice, um, like I said, over the holiday, when I saw the story and it was posted on Instagram, the first thing he did was he went live. And he let us know, yeah, I just killed my girlfriend and I'm at my wife's house now. And this is what I'm about to do. And then when I'm done, I'm going to just, you know, off myself. I'm wondering if, do you feel like at that moment, was he reaching out? Do you think that that was a cry for help? Definitely. Do you, do you think, okay. Do you feel like maybe if he, if someone would have interrupted the live or got on it, like if he would have changed his mind or something like that? So um, the facts show that um, most people who are in that uh, vulnerable um, situation where they're contemplating suicide or they do reach out and it's how the person responds um, will, de will determine if that life can be saved at that time. So I do feel like at that point, um, some lives could have been saved if people saw the live and acted quickly, you know, to find out where he was or to try to get 911 to him or to try to talk him off the ledge, so to speak. Um, I think that uh, maybe we could have saved more lives, but um, it's unfortunate the way that it happened. And I think that, um, that is the problem is that we don't get to the root cause of you know, why people are doing what they do. So when you look at it, um, and this could be for any crime, you know, people aren't born with guns in their hand. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, because mental health is being unaddressed, when you look at um, ACEs, um, what's the, um, mm, help me out, what's ACEs stand for? <laughs> um, events, um, early uh, childhood um, experiences. Okay. And so um, when you look at ACEs, um, what it does is it actually looks at a person and it looks at everything that they have experienced in their life, all of the traumas. And based off of those traumas, they give them a point system. And so for each trauma, like you get a different amount of points and the more, the more points that you have, the more vulnerable you are to utilizing drugs, the more vulnerable you are to being the person making, you know, killing others, 
the more vulnerable you are to eat um, unhealthy, like all of these unhealthy habits. And so many people, um, adverse childhood experiences, I'm sorry, adverse childhood experiences, I had to think about it. So many people are dealing with so much baggage, so much from their childhood, and it gets unaddressed. And because it's unaddressed, then they grow up with this baggage and then it explodes in different ways. So getting to the root cause of it when they're a child, helping them to understand what their triggers are, helping them to know, okay, this is my trigger. So when this happens, I know I need to do X, Y, Z to get help so that I won't get to the explosive part of my, you know, of my um, illness. Um, or, you know, there's a part of ACEs where it's flight, flight, and uh, freeze. Because they create this normalcy of them hearing a the gunshot all the time, it's so normal, it, it's like, you know, nothing. So it's just like if you were to come up against a bear, right, and you see a bear and you're standing right in front of it, what's your, what's your first response? Is to get away from the bear. Exactly. Right. But... If you see a bear all the time walking down your street, then it's just like it, that creates that normalcy. And then your body, your brain is not telling your body, I need to get away from it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You hear gunshots all the time. It's like, oh, there goes another gunshot. Mm -hmm. You know, you see a dead body. It's like, oh, there goes another dead body. And we're teaching them that normalcy, which is an unhealthy normalcy. And they don't understand that it's unhealthy. Well, one of the things that the guy did say in the live was, I ha I was married to my wife. This happened. She's keeping the kids away from me. My girlfriend's pregnant, and we got into an argument, and she said the same thing that my ex-wife said. So that obviously was a trigger for him. Mm -hmm. So we need to let the mom understand that using the children as the pawn is not a good idea because it can end up like this. You know, nobody thinks at the time, oh, he, you know, he's not capable of that, but you really don't know what people are capable of when you push them to that certain point, you know? And um, I find with a lot of the guests that I've interviewed, as far as the system goes, they get frustrated and they don't know, you know, what paperwork to fill out or, you know, what to bring to court. So they just automatically get aggravated with the things that's going on as far as them and their children. And then it results to things like this, either death, violence or, you know, or whatever the case. If you could offer either one of y'all could offer any advice to anybody that may be watching that's going through this or, you know, may go on that path and and they see these things are happening like the mom is using the child as a pawn to keep away from me or you know things like that what advice would you offer that person i think one of the things that they have to understand is that you know both individuals have to look at the situation as what is best for the child and not as what they believe that is best um you know, from the sense of, I, I tell married, married couples this, it is not who's right, but it's what's right. Mm -hmm. And when we stop trying to focus on who's right, 
but more from the perspective on what's right, you begin to develop solutions. Because if you sit down and you talk to two individuals that's fighting over child custody, you're hearing two people telling you about who's right and who's wrong. I think first thing is just trying to focus on what's right and then possibly even having a mediator to kind of look at the situation and say, this is what two individuals could come to the conclusion. And if even if it's possible to not allow the court systems to get involved, that two parents can actually say, hey, this is a decision that we can work together first. Let's try to see what can we do to come together to see what's right for the child. I think that's one of the solutions that they can actually work on. I wanted to ask, since you brought up a mediator, I wanted to ask, um, and again, anybody can answer this. So as I read more into this particular situation, they uh, outlined the course of the situation where, you know, he threatened and, you know, stalked and it was all kinds of stuff. So those are signs of some things going on mentally. So what I want to ask you, in your opinion, again, why do you feel like, and I've seen this way too often, we go to the system or whoever, we go, go, go to the system and we're pointing out these problems with this individual, but the system does nothing about it. But then when these things happen, like, you know, death and murders, now it's, oh my goodness, we, we feel bad. And, and it's documented. Mm -hmm. So when, when the people come down and they say, hey, he's not right mentally, why is it that the system doesn't then intervene and say, okay, well, for the betterment of the situation, let's get this person some help? Well, that's the problem with, you know, society has us in a reactionary type of um, world, you know, instead of us being proactive and saying, like I was saying, get to the root cause, find out what's going on. Um, you know, explain to people, you know, like for, so for instance, I think we need to have mental health um, checkups, like we have physical checkups. Mm -hmm. You know, we go to have our bodies checked once a year annually, and we need to have our minds checked the same way because things happen so fast that, you know, that triggers so many things. So, um, you know, just getting to the root cause would, would alleviate us being in a reactionary type of world and then um you know we could hopefully stop situations from that happening so and the, one of the questions that i did ask uh, my guest in the first season um is why do you guys feel like the black man's load is so heavy or do you feel like it's not heavy they just make it heavier than what it is I think we have to look at just each of us as an individual. I think everybody has their, and this, I guess this is more of a, an opinion, if I can say, versus a whole bunch of statistics. We all carrying, we all got a load to bear. We all have our cross to carry in the sense that I would say. I think that we just have to be willing to understand where an individual are in that moment of their season, in that moment of their life. Because, um, you know, I, I explained to, to someone that was going through a situation recently, and I said, guess what? It's okay to just be okay. 
I said, you don't have to be great today. You don't have to be excellent today. Your good is going to look different every single day. Every single day, your, your, your good might be 100 today and it might be 95 tomorrow, but each day you wake up and you do your best. So I think that um, we just had to look at it from and understand that each one of us are carrying a load and that we just have to be sensitive and open to understand and possibly even help when the need is there to help each other. And if I might add, um, hmm, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> What's the question one more time? Oh, I know it. I got it. So <laughs> we took a class. Um, I went to a HBCU and we took a class about the um, Black family. And um, we talked about that. We explored um, the Black man's um, trials and tribulations. And um, if you think about the weight of the world that the Black man has and the responses that they receive versus their counterparts, then I can understand or see that it could possibly be a little heavier than um, than other people lose. Um, you know, um, you know, for simple things, you know, walking down the street, um, you know, wearing a, a sweatshirt, um, you know, and tennis shoes or Timberlands may be looked at as you're a thug because of the clothes that you have on your back. But then your counterpart could have something similar on, and it, it's a total different thing. Um, and then not only that, but um, the struggles that they have with, um, you know, through life and um, just as a man, you know, men can't cry. Men have to be tough. Right. And, you know, the different um, things that we're taught that's not necessarily correct. You know, we're, we're taught a lot of different things that, you know, when um, growing up, when I was growing up, we were taught that um, pictures are to be seen and not heard, meaning that we weren't supposed to speak, even though we might have, you know, had an opinion about something, you know, we're silencing the children. And, you know, I grew up and I started teaching my children that until midway. And I'm like, wait a minute, what am I saying? Like, they can't have an opinion. They can, they can, they can share how they feel about something. You know, I, we might not agree. And I have the last say so as the parent, you mm -hmm. know, my husband and I, but um, they can have an opinion. So if we try to change some of these um crazy ways that we're brought up and some of the um, the stereotypes, um, you know, ideals that we're taught that may not necessarily, you know, they weren't taught to us to be harmful, but they are harmful behaviors. So, you know, changing that could lighten their load a little bit as well. Do y'all feel like um, with this world of internet and social media and all this other stuff, do you feel like that has any part to play in how people interact with each other? I think all of it are environmental factors. All of it, it could be good, it could be used for a positive or it has its negative factors attached to it as well. You know, I look at some of the business individuals on social media. And they're saying, if you're not promoting your business on social media right now, if you're just watching what's funny, you're wasting a lot of time. You're not making any money. So all of it, it does has its negative and its positive to it. But overall, I think that it could be a great tool to use to promote even 
um, what's being recorded today that can be posted on social media that can answer a lot of those questions, even when Ms. Taylor was talking about you know, the structure of the Black family. I think these are topics that we can use and individuals that actually they need answers for. So I think that that's one of the positive ways that we can look at social media. And it's also uh, been said that, of course, in order for you to raise a child, you have to have to be in the right mental, mental space uh, to do that as well. Um, so I just... So my question, and, and again, a lot of these are repetitive because I just wanted to get different opinions. Um, it's always been, and I'm not going to say frowned upon, but when, if there's a, for instance, if there's a single father and he, and he wants to go to, let's just say maybe a social services or, you know, maybe he needs help with his rent that month or whatever, people tend to look at that as, you know, he's not, a man or he's not a provider because he's reaching out, you know, for these resources. Whereas though, if the mom does it, it's okay because she needs to help. Why, why do you think that that is like, why isn't that if you, why is it that when you see a man in social services, you look at him to the side, but it's filled with women all day and that's okay. I think there's two things that plays a part in that. One, it's just like when you talked about the load, and again, Ms. Taylor answered it perfectly with the structure of the Black man or the Black family, is the expectation that is placed on us as men sometimes that we ought to just figure it out and have it figured out. You ought to be a provider. You ought to be all of these titles that are given to us. That's one thing. That's one of the factors. But also it's culturally. Because if you think about it, there's other cultures that would do it with no hesitation and never look down upon it. You know, they see the government assistance and they take it if, if the need is there. You know, so I think that's another part of it as well. It's, it's a cultural uh, practice that's within our culture mm -hmm. that if they see the man needing that, that there's an issue. But other cultures have no issues at all, um, you know, when it comes to taking advantage of it. As a matter of fact, the um, Jewish population is the um, largest population on social services. And most people would have you think or believe that it would be African-American, but it's actually the Jewish population. So for a person who is going through anything and, you know, needs mental health services, but they just don't, you know, want to reach out or whatever. And for a person that might be even married to them and a relationship with them or good friends with them. What do you guys feel like some of the signs of this, uh, of depression or, you know, anxiety or anything just period that you should look for? Um, well, first, if they are, if they are depressed, like typically a person that's depressed, you'll notice um, that a lot of things will change their eating habits, their sleeping habits, either they can't sleep or they're sleeping too much. Um, they are more withdrawn. They, um, their appetite changes. Sometimes they overeat, sometimes they undereat. Mm -hmm. um, just depending on the person, um, there are a lot of different, you know, small changes, you know, their appearance. Sometimes they um, take less care of their parents. So if you know that they normally are, you know, taking forever to get ready and now all of a sudden 
they're wearing things that they normally wouldn't wear out and not really taking that, you know, um, um, that that extra care that they normally would take in their appearance, then that could be a sign as well. Um, there's so many different signs just depending on um, the actual illness um, and how the severity of the depression, um, you know, because then you have different types of depression, like, you know, seasonal depression for during the holidays, and then you have... Um, you know, just the normal depression and then the severe depression. So there's just different stages and, and different things for you to look at um, for that. But um, typically, if you're in tune with your um, spouse, then you know something is not right. And, um, you know, you know to have that conversation and encourage them to try to get help. Um, and I'll say, you know, being married for um, going on 20 three years, I think, 22, 23 years this year. Um, it's not, marriage is not easy. It's not for the light, the faint at heart. <laughs> it's not. Um, but what is, like, what, what, um, what in life that's really rewarding is not going to be a struggle, whether it's, you know, going to school or, you know, getting a degree or whether it's uh, wanting a certain job that you have to work hard to get or, Whatever your goal is, typically it's going to take some work at it. And I think that people, you know, think that relationships, you don't have to work at it. And that's not true. You have to work at it just like you had to work at anything else. So, right. So with mental health being so important, and this is just my opinion, I feel like we don't, well, not we, but cer certain illnesses aren't taken seriously, i.e. bipolar um, for, for whatever reason, when, when somebody says, oh, well, I'm bipolar, it's like a badge of honor. Like, I don't think that that's something that we should, you know, wear and be proud of. You know what I mean? I mean, it, it's not to be glorified. If anything, I think you should, you know, seek the help that you need or whatever. But I don't know. Why do y'all feel like some of these illnesses are, like I said, pretty much glorified? Because it's like, just to say, just just to, nobody, to me, it looks like nobody's ashamed to say I'm bipolar. And you shouldn't be ashamed of it. But I don't feel like it should be taken lightly either. I think when it comes to some of these mental illness, the fact that some of these individuals recognize that there is an issue there with them. I think it can be good because one of the things are, you know, let's let's look what we were just talking about depression. Mm -hmm. Most people will never admit that they are depressed. And part of it is they don't even know how to recognize depression. So I think the list of some of the list of the things that Ms. Taylor was naming, you know, the changes in those individuals to begin to recognize that that things are things are changing with them to help them to recognize you know wow this is this this is sign of depression so that at some point i think it is good that an individual are able to recognize the change within themselves and mm -hmm. say that you know what i am dealing with depression i do need that help because again when some of these things goes undiagnosed or misdiagnosed we begin to see some situations like this in the, the incident where you was talking about earlier. So I think that recognizing that the individuals are dealing with mental health, I think it is very important. And if I could just add, um, 
sometimes the way people react to things may not necessarily come across the way they want it to come across. So like if they're saying that they're bipolar, sometimes they're doing that. You know how people joke and they say things in a joking way, but it's really serious because they don't know how to say it in a serious way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think sometimes it's out of their shame they may want to joke about it because they're embarrassed that they, you know, that they do have this diagnosis. I mean, of course you're gonna have the the some people that just don't take anything serious, but I think that a lot of times um it, you know their delivery may not come across the way they really want it to come across because they um you know they're they're embarrassed of you know, the issue. So what about, um, uh, how do you, how do you both feel about medication? Do you feel like it's always necessary or do you feel like maybe a good couple of counseling sessions or, you know, come to my program, you know, every couple of days or every week or month or however that goes, how, how what are y'all thoughts on medication versus working out, whatever the issue is, or do you feel this medication is always necessary? No, um, I think that it depends on the individual situation and the, in the, the, the individual's diagnosis, their treatment plan is a lot of planning that needs to go into that before you decide that um, medication is the answer. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just depends on the diagnosis, like some diagnoses um, you don't need medication for. You know, just therapy is the answer. Um, some um, some issues can be addressed um, just understanding what your triggers are, and then you are able to, um, you know, start different hobbies to help you to um, kind of escape from those, you know, those bad places when you feel yourself going down. You know, like there are different things that you can do, like journaling and listening to music, things that'll relax you, that'll take you away from those bad spaces sometimes mm-hmm. um, that can uh, help you to avoid needing to take medication. So sometimes it is necessary, but sometimes it's not, depending on the individual case. So I wanted to go back um, really quickly and touch on uh, what Tagana said earlier as far as relationships and your mental health. Because some of us, men and women, both have the, let's just say, relationship PTSD. So it's like if you have two women who acted the same, and then you finally get this one who's way different, you know, but already my mind is programmed to think that, oh, you're like this now, but you're going to end up like these other two. And usually in those cases, they don't do things like you said, they don't talk, they don't open up, they don't express, they don't tell us how, you know, they feel, they don't express emotions or feelings because of past situations. What is something that that you would recommend to like alleviate that? Because a person could say anything, but it's truly through the actions. So if the actions prove to be otherwise different than previous situations, then what is it that won't let the person let up? I I would give you one word, healing. It it sums up healing. You know, let's, even if it's not in relationship, I just think that there's so much healing that us as individuals have to 
you know, go through. I should not be in a, a in another relationship thinking about what happened situations in a past relationship. That tells me one thing that I have not healed from my past. You know, I want to, even if it was traumatic, even if, you know, it's said like this, it doesn't matter who caused the, the trauma, who caused the headache. It is my responsibility to heal. So I could have been in two relationships and each one of them were the same, you know, same results. I've got to heal from both of those relationships, you know, not for the sake of my next relationship, but for the sake of my relationship with me. I've got to heal. So that's what happens a lot of times is that we're not healing. So that's why we expect the same thing that we had from the past because we haven't healed. You know, so that's the first thing that I would say is that you have to heal. Now, how do we heal? One of the first things in our healing process is recognizing that there was something that hurt us, that there was something that broke us and then confronting it. We can't ever conquer what we don't confront. So we have to face it. We have to talk about it. We have to see and find strategies and tools that help us to get beyond the thing that caused us the pain. It is our responsibility to heal. We should not be in another relationship saying, I expect this or this may happen again. You know, and I'll say this last part. What happens is a lot of times if we hurt, there are other things that come along with that hurt. There's sometimes we get past the hurt, but now I got to deal with the rejection from the hurt, the abandonment from the hurt or whatever it is that caused me that hurt. Because like you said, anything that looks like that trauma is going to cause me to withdraw, even if it isn't that trauma. So we have to take time to heal. And that's what the whole mental health driving mental health is about is healing. So in regards to, uh, bringing this back to fatherhood now in regards to co-parenting um let's just say you have two people who just cannot you know get along for anything um but they do have a child together and one thing that i have realized is that sometimes because of the situation between the parents the father doesn't want to be bothered with the kid because of the the relationship with the mother. Um, do you feel like if the two parents were to go to like some type of counseling or mediation or, you know, whatever it is, would that be a helpful tool? Definitely. Um, I think anytime you have a toxic relationship, um, there are room to grow from that. Um, people just have to be willing to be vulnerable and understanding and, you know, try to understand where they were wrong, you know, and not be so quick to point the finger and say, you know, this person was wrong, but, you know, like, what was my part in this toxic, you know, relationship? And then they also have to look at what's the end game? Is the end game for me to be the winner, like Pastor Duncan said earlier? Or is the end game for my child to be the winner because they have two parents that can get along now and talk along with each other? Well, I think that's the point that a lot of these situations miss. It's more, we don't really care about the child. And ultimately that's the one that suffers in the end. And then from this behavior, you're creating other behaviors in your child 
And then now we're right back over with, you know, the same, it's the same cycle. And the goal ultimately is to break the cycle so that we don't have all of these uh, situations. Um, so again, it's taking it back to fatherhood. Now, now <clears throat> for the single fathers, because there are a lot of those as well that, uh, you know, do the same duties as the mom and, you know, they go to work and they take care of the kids and stuff like that. Um, ultimately that as well could take a toll on your mental health because you have just like so much. And again, there are, there are outlets for women. Like, I feel like if a woman needed a babysitter, it would be easier for her to get one versus, um, a father, you know, saying, Oh, can you watch my kid while I go out? Because then it'll look at it like, Oh, you're the father. Like, you know what I mean? So, how important is it for a, a, a single parent to have a strong village? It's very important. Um, well, first, just, um, you know, I'm not big on the whole stereotype type of thing. Um, you know, put this person in this category, that person in that category. You know, a man can need um, help with watching his child, a man can need uh, food stamps, a man can need all the same things as um, anybody right. that um, is in need at that time um, and going through something, um, you know, that doesn't make them less of a man because they might need a little help. Um, actually, in my opinion, it makes them more of a man for them stepping up to take care of their child and doing what, you know, what they need to do. Um so that was the first part about stereotyping. And then you also asked another part to the question. Um, tell me the second part again. About the village. Oh, yes. Everybody needs a village. Mm -hmm. Listen, one of the quotes that I say is um, individually, we can do great things, but um, individually, we can do great things, but collectively, we can forever change the world. What does that look like? There's a quote by my brother, Nick Mosby, and um, I adopted it as a motto for one of my businesses, but it means so much even in this situation because individually you can raise a child, but could you imagine if you collectively come together and pour into that child and love on that child, the difference of the two children just having one person versus having a village of people. You know, I've been blessed because... Um, I had a village that raised me, you know, my aunts and my uncles, they played a huge part in um, my parenting, along with my mom and my grandmother, who were my main co-parents. Um, so I was able to experience that village. And then I was able to pass that village down to my children because my family, that's how we do. We come together to help pour into each other's children. Mm -hmm. to um, to be able to be that village. So it's so important for a child to be able to have it because like I told my children, there may be times that you don't feel comfortable coming to mom and dad to talk. It's okay. But we have identified someone else from our village that we feel comfortable with you going to and getting information if you don't feel comfortable with mom and dad. You know, some mom and dads will say, oh, no, my child can come and tell me everything. If you think your child comes and tells you everything, you're sadly mistaken. Just being real. 
-hmm. just being real i just being honest you know nine times out of ten they're not going to tell you everything but if you identify someone that you feel comfortable so for instance um one of the people in my village is my sister slash cousin cousin so biologically we are cousins but we were raised as sisters and my children know that they can go to her for that mother motherly um information if they don't feel comfortable coming to me to talk to mom about it mm-hmm. and i'm good yeah. with it and i don't ever have to know what they discuss with her but i trust her to give the right um the right information to her same thing with my brother i know if my children go to my brother and he's giving them information it's just like it's coming from me or my husband and mm-hmm. i'm good with that you know and um so you know, sometimes we got to step down off our high horse thinking that we are the, you know, the end all be all and allow our village to pour into our children. So, Tegwan, I want to ask you um, from a man's perspective, if you could give, because again, these child support situations are real situations. And like I say, I interviewed a lot of people in my first season where the, the mother is uh, withholding the child from the dad or he's on child support or he paid child support for a child that he raised in his home. And it's just like the women don't have any, I'm not going to say no conscious, but it's just like, okay, I don't, you know, I don't care because I'm the mother. Uh, to make these situations better, what advice can you give to the moms uh so that we don't have all of these issues with, you know, the system, you know, the child support with the mother using kids as pawns. So, you know, h- how can we start breaking this cycle? Right. That's a really good question. You know, the first thing is you have to look at each one on a case to case basis and try to understand how did we get here? But again, it comes down to doing what is right not looking at who's right, but just remembering what is right. And guess what? If I'm having an an issue with my wife, let's just use myself, over the kids, I'm not going to, what is right may not come down to me saying what is right, because now it's my opinion. So this is where I get someone else involved, where I get a mediator, I get someone else involved, where we can sit down and they, we can, all of us can decide you know, we lay it on the table, what our thoughts are, and then we choose and we come up with a solution where we say, this is what we believe is right. You know, because at the end of the day, it's about the child. It's about what's in the best interest of the child. You know, so always looking at it from a perspective of let's do what is right for this child. And when we have two individuals that can just get that in their head and to get that as the solution, I think we avoid a lot of the, the the things that we've been facing. So let me ask you a question from the uh, the money aspect of it really quickly. So, uh, of course, we know that child support at times can be just like kryptonite to to a father that feels like he shouldn't be there because he spends the quality time with the child. Because in my opinion, um, even though we know it takes money to raise a child, the time, in my opinion, is more important. Um, 
I want to ask, because again, like I said, the guys don't want to be in the system. They really don't. So my question is, how important do you feel, do you feel like in these situations, should the father pay child support to the state or should he pay the money uh, to the mother or I, I don't, I mean, I, how can I say this? How important do you think the system is as far as the financial aspect of it? Because you know, if you do it through the, the the system, you know, there's a way of tracking it and they know that you've paid and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But sometimes in situations when you do it through the mother, the, the money may not go to the child all the time. And then you have other situations where the father says, OK, call me, let me know what he needs and I'll buy it and I'll give it to you. And ultimately that ends up causing a problem for the mother as well. Sometimes she might feel insulted, like, oh, you don't trust me with the money or whatever. So in, in which one of these instances do you feel the system is necessary or is it even necessary? It's a Again. case to case, oh, I'm sorry. It's a case to case basis. Like each case could be different, you know, and I've, I've known different people on, um, that have dealt with it differently. You know, I have, I know some excellent fathers who, don't need the system. They take care of their kids. You know, they pay the per the the wife or the spouse money for the child's care. And then if the child needs something every now and then, they pay for that as well because they understand, you know, the need to do so. But then I know some fathers who are terrible. I'm not going to even say fathers because some some mothers too. I know some spouses that are terrible in the whole case of taking care of their children. And so they need a court appointed system that says you need to pay X amount each month in order to, um, you know, to support your child. It's sad to say that you need the state to tell you to take care of your child, but, um, but it's necessary. Now I did want to speak to, um, about the women who may be spending the the money. So the, at the end of the day, the money, you know, you you can you really calculate how much a child really um, needs? You know, because you're putting a roof over their head. So maybe I'm going to get my nails done to treat myself, but I paid all of the bills and I took care of my child and my child has what they want. So because I took a little bit to go get my nails done, I'm a bad parent. Maybe not because you did take care of your things. Now, if you're taking all of the money that is provided to you for your child and all of that money is taken to get your hair done, nails done, everything did type of thing, you know, now that's not right. You know, so it, it's just a difference. And it's kind of like, a, you know, it's kind of like a case to case type of thing, because it depends on the maturity of the person who um, you know, who was actually, um, um, you know, in care of the money and if they're doing right with yeah. it. You know, um, you know, we have to understand that the law is for the lawless. Laws are put into place for the lawless, not those that can follow the law. What happens in a lot of these situations is that you have good fathers, good men that are doing what is right and what they're expected to do that are caught up in the system and sometimes they don't get right justice 
you know, because of the way that the laws are written when it comes to the, the treatment of, you know, what the expectations are for these single mothers. You know, and that's unfortunate. You know, the laws wasn't created for those that do right. It was created for those that do wrong. So it's unfortunate that some of the fathers that are trying to do their best and do what's right are caught up in it. You know, but like Nicole said that, um, you know, it was just a lot of good advice that was given. Um, we just have to work, I think, possibly in the future to try to change some of these laws that it is looked at on a case-to-case -case basis that the good isn't suffering with the bad. And so let me ask you, because Nicole brought up a good point. So when she said, okay, I took a little bit of the money to get my nails done, but I did what I was supposed to do. Now, and I asked this question to many of my guests as well. So a friend and a friend of mine and I were having a conversation and he said that if the father gives the mother money for the child and she takes it and she puts it on maybe the electric bill or a little bit of the rent or she buys food with the money, um, that's still justifiable as child support because the child needs somewhere to live. They need food and uh, they need lights to function and all this other kind of stuff. And then another person said that he didn't agree because whether or not you had the child, you would still have these bills. You would still have to have a roof over your head. You would still have to have food and et cetera, et cetera. Do you agree or disagree with, with that? Well, well you know, oh, I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It, it looks different. Um, each individual, it looks different. Um, you know what? One of the things is, you know, I have a son that's away at college. And whether my son is away at college or not, I still have rent. I still have light bill. I still have food. I still have all of these things to pay, whether he's there or not. But when he comes home, now he's in his room. His, he's using the lights. He's eating more food. More <laughs> clothes is being washed. The, the, the laundry, he's using laundry detergent. All of these things. So I have an individual that is added to the house that now is increasing what my monthly expenses are. You know, if, if you get what I'm trying to say, mm -hmm. you know, uh, you know, so that's one way that I look at it. You know, you're adding to the household. Um, my thoughts are, you know, if you're paying child support to support the child, it, it, it is just that you're supporting the child. You're supporting where he lays his head. You're supporting what he's eating. You're supporting him in the clothes, you know, when we're talking financially. These are all things that we do to support him. So if he's there, he's being supported by your money. <laughs> Nicole. <laughs> um, so I think we were basically going to say the same thing. Um, you know, again, it's a case by case. But at the end of the day, as long as you're taking care of the child, when you look at it, when you get paid right, we go to work to collect a paycheck, right? Mm -hmm. When you collect that paycheck, what is our paycheck for? It's to help us with our cost of living, right? Mm -hmm. It's to help us to pay our bills. And But some of us do right with it and some of us don't do right with it. it, it it's no different. Like some of us, you know, go and buy a whole new wardrobe when they're supposed to pay their rent mm -hmm. and card note or whatever, you know. Mm -hmm. 
um, it's the same thing. So the child support money is to go towards the child, but um, a part of that child, like Pastor Duncan said, a part of that child is um, they have to live somewhere and they live with you. And so those expenses are going to be different with having an additional body, even having an additional bed, you know, your, your rent or mortgage is going to be different depending on the amount of bedrooms that you have within that household. So there is going to be additional fees and that should be allotted for within that child support. Okay. So I have one more question before we wrap up. So the last thing I wanted to ask, and I always ask everybody, um, as far as mental health, uh, you know, what advice do you give the person who's going through anything? It doesn't really necessarily have to be about, you know, parenting or whatever the case, but maybe life is getting a little rough or, you know, or maybe you are on child support and, and you work all these long shifts just to come home with $200 and you don't know what you're doing from one day to the next. So what, what advice do you, uh, and both of you can answer this, do you give that person uh, before, like I said, before it festers into something that you can't take back. I would say that um, life is happening to everybody and that it does get better. You know, go through what you're going through. Be strong. You know, try to get the help that's necessary and just know that life does get better. You know, sometimes the worst thing is that, you know, we feel like we're going through by ourselves. We feel like there's no one that would understand us. Well, we don't know that until we share it with someone, what we are dealing with and where we are, you know, so that we can try to get that help. And just understand that things do get better. If you got life in your body, breath in your lungs, that's an opportunity. and You still have time to see things get better in your life. You know, so just um, try to get help. There is individuals that's willing to listen to you, willing to walk through whatever it is that you're going through, you know, and just let them understand that they're not by yourself. People do care. You may feel like no one does. You may feel like you're by yourself, but there are individuals that do care. Um, I would like to say it's okay not to be okay. In our communities, we stigmatize, um, we stigmatize, um, we stigmatize mental health um, as a bad thing in our community, and um, we have to we have to stop doing that. We have to understand that it's okay not to be okay. Um, we have to understand that there are people out here, there are therapists out here that can help us, and that we can reach out to get that help. Um, it's there for us to do. And it doesn't mean that you're crazy. It doesn't mean that you, um, it, it doesn't mean anything. You know, it just means that you need help at that time. You need someone to talk to, to, to process um, what you're going through and to help to give you some advice to, um, to be able to, um, you know, make it to the next day. You know, life is difficult. Um, we have things thrown at us um, coming all directions. And I don't care. You, you know, people are on Facebook or social media and they see people and they look at all of the smiles and the happy families and all of the good. And they think that they're having a good life and they wish to have that type of life. But guess what? Their, their life could have some hard, you know, some hardships uh, in there as well, but they're just not as vocal as other people 
on social media. So I would just say stay encouraged. And you don't have to be strong. This, this is the only thing I think I'm going to disagree with Pastor Duncan on. You don't have to be strong. You know, sometimes people feel like you have to be strong. And we keep sending this message, be strong, be strong. It's okay to be weak. It's okay to understand that you need help. It's okay. And just reach out for the help and get it. Um, and I also just want to give one last thing. Um, there is, so for any men that are going through a struggle, um, with custody of their children. I do know of an organization called Winning Strategies um, that help um, fathers who are um, trying to, you know, see their, their children um, and being kept from their children, especially like um, men who are um, our returning citizens who aren't able to see their children, their loved ones. So um, there is an organization called Winning Strategies that would help. And I thank you two so much for uh, coming on and joining me this evening. I really do appreciate the uh, opinions of this conversation. Um, I always like to talk mental, about mental health because, like you said, I want people to know that it's okay not to be okay and we don't have to carry so much all the time. So if anybody wants to reach out to you guys as far as anything, as far as help with the youth, their mental health and all the stuff that you named at the beginning, how would they be able to do so? They can reach out to us via email, Empowered to Stand Health Services. I'm sorry, Empowered to Stand HS at gmail.com or our phone number is 443 733 Did I say that right, Pastor Duncan? 733 3911. 443 733 3911. And also, you can also find us on social media at Empower to Stand HS on Facebook and also Instagram, Empower to Stand HS. Thank you so much, you two. I really do appreciate you coming on. And this will wrap up episode two of Fathers Ain't. Good night. I'm Tanya Shaw, and I will see y'all next week. Thank you. Thank you.